0: Uh, This morning we're starting a new sermon series, uh, which is actually a bit deceptive because we're returning to an old sermon series. Uh, If you remember last summer we spent uh, the majority of the summer going through the book of Acts. We journeyed through the first uh, 15 chapters, through the uh, first part of chapter 15, and we were asking these two questions. What is the church and what role does the Spirit play in our lives and in the life of our church? And this felt like a really fitting series for us to enter into as like all of the shapes and forms of church that we had ever really known in our lifetime have been kind of stripped away, right? And so it was helpful to ask this question, recognizing that like (laughs) the church is so much bigger than what we do on Sunday mornings, right? Um, And recognizing that the spirit is at work in our lives uh, just as much Monday through Saturday as the Spirit is at work here on Sunday mornings. And so um, that's what we spent the majority of last summer doing. And this summer, uh thought it was fitting to come back and spend some time in the latter half of Acts as well. And so we're going to be asking these same sorts of questions, again, rather explicitly or, or implicitly. This is going to kind of be our filter as we read um, the text itself. So as we get ready to jump into uh, our scripture for this morning, let's uh, pause for a word of prayer loving god it is so good to be together um, uh, together either here in person or on zoom and we're grateful um, for the bizarre gift of technology uh, that can connect us Um, more than grateful for the bizarre gift of technology god we're grateful for the gift of your spirit that is here among us, both in person and for those of us joining online, and the way that your spirit is somehow mysteriously, divinely uniting us, connecting us, drawing us together, forming one new humanity among us. We're grateful for that, God. Now as we turn to the scriptures, uh, we, we yield ourselves to your spirit and ask that your spirit would lead us and guide us and shape us and form us more and more into the image of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Acts chapter 15, we see uh, a bit of a shift taking place. Because up to the first uh, part of Acts chapter 15, we see that there's this broader sort of narrative that's taking place in the story of Acts as a whole. It's a broader sort of narrative uh, covering the birth of the church, the uh, spread of the church, and the development of the church over much of the, the known world at that time. But in the latter, half, or latter part of Acts chapter 15, we see a shift taking place and we move from this broader sort of narrative into a much more narrow sort of narrative. And what was once this broad narrative on the, the birth, the spread, the development of the church becomes much more singular, much more focused as we follow the life and the work and the teachings of one particular individual by the name of Paul. But as we make this transition from the, the, the first part of uh, Acts chapter 15 to the second half of Acts chapter 15, from the first part of the book of Acts as a whole to the second part of the book of Acts as a whole, we see a very peculiar sort of transition point. And it's a peculiar sort of transition point because it's a story that involves conflict, I don't know about you, but I don't like conflict. My guess is that most of us don't enjoy conflict. We all know that one person that really likes conflict, but generally speaking, most of us don't enjoy conflict, right? Uh, and this is because conflict is really uncomfortable for us, and so it's something that like, we often want to like, sweep under the rug, pretend isn't there, or uh, act like it just wasn't part of the story to begin with, right? So for most of us, when we come back from vacation, this means that when somebody says, hey, how was vacation? We don't begin with, oh, it was a train wreck. Our kids wouldn't listen to us at all, and so like we wanted to get to the beach early to get a good spot, and we were yelling at our kids to get their shoes on, and then by the time they got their shoes on, we got in the car. My spouse and I were yelling at each other because we were yelling at our kids, and now we're yelling at each other in front of our kids, and then we get to the beach late, and we can't get to find a good spot. We get stuck by the person with the big boombox blaring Leonard Skinner from 9 to 5 all day, and it ruined our whole day, right? Most of us don't begin that way, right? Or when asked, hey, how's, your, how's your, uh, your spouse or your partner doing? Can you fill me in on how they're doing? We normally don't begin. He or she's a real piece of work these days, right? Um, it's, it's been a while before, or it's been a while since we haven't fought. Like, I don't actually remember a day that we didn't have some sort of argument. Like, apparently there's something about the way that I pass salt across the table that's really annoying and just kind of blows up our evening. We don't normally start with that, right? Or when somebody says, hey, fill me in on how things are going for you. We normally don't begin. I'm in inner turmoil right now. Um, I don't know my meaning, my purpose, my, my values in life, and it feels like everything's just kind of upside down. We don't normally include these details in our stories, do we? Conflict's really uncomfortable. And so we tend to leave it out. We tend to sweep it under the rug, pretend like it didn't happen or it doesn't exist. And yet Luke, the author of Acts, doesn't do that. Instead we see Luke including the story of conflict almost as if there's something important for us to learn as we sit with this unfolding story of the church and this unfolding story of the spirit coming upon humankind. So in Acts chapter 15 we see this monumental shift that happens within the life of the church. This is what's often referred to as the council of Jerusalem. Uh, Now, what's happening in the Council of Jerusalem is the the church, the who's who of leaders among the church, gathered together to, to make a decision about what to do with a certain group of people called Gentiles. Now, to call them a certain group of people is actually a bit deceptive because Gentiles just means everybody that's not Jewish. Now, here's why this was an important decision. Because remember, Christianity was a Jewish movement. Christianity began with a Jewish rabbi who grabbed Jewish people who followed him and joined in on this movement, and it was a predominantly Jewish sort of movement. But as this movement began to spread across much of the known world, it began to be really attractive to everybody else, the Gentiles, the nations, the non-Jewish people. And so they came to this question of like, what do we do with these Gentiles? What do we do with the non-Jewish people that want to be part of this? Do they have to become Jewish? Like, do they have to take on the entirety of the law? Do the men have to become circumcised, or can they remain Gentiles and just simply follow Jesus in the midst of that? Monumental sort of decision. And the church comes to this decision that Gentiles are welcome in, that they don't need to become Jewish, the men don't have to become circumcised, but that they can share share life together, which again was a monumental, like, Sort of uh, decision that would have like shaken the foundations of the community as a whole. Now there were two leaders at this Jerusalem council by the name of Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas were leaders in a church outside of Jerusalem in the city of Antioch. Now the church in Antioch was a predominantly Gentile church, and so they take the good news that the Gentiles can remain Gentiles back to Antioch, and they share this good news, and everybody rejoices. And we end the story. By being told that Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch and there with many others, they taught and proclaimed the word of the Lord. Now if the story ended there, it would be a great story. We have a nice like bow on the end of it. It's wrapped up nice and neat and everybody went home and lived happily ever after. But that's not what happens in the story. It doesn't end there. Instead, we're told in the very next verse, After some days, days is a pretty vague term, could mean 24 hours, could mean weeks, months, years. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit to the believers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul decided not to take with them the one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in their work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out to the believers, commending him in the grace of the Lord. He went throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul and Barnabas, these leaders in this church in Antioch, decide at some point... Uh, that they want to go back and retrace this this journey that they've been on. So prior to all of this, Paul and Barnabas had set out and gone to all of these cities, sharing the good news of Jesus, ad- establishing these communities around the life, the teaching, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul is saying like, hey, like a good parent, I want to go and visit my children. I want to check in and see how they're doing. But instead of going out back on this journey, instead they enter into this major disagreement. They enter into this major conflict, so much so that we're told that it was so sharp that they parted company. Now this word that gets translated sharp" is where we get the English word "paroxysm," which in medical terms can mean some sort of like convulsion or attack, or outside of the medical world. It can mean some like violent outburst of emotion, Which means that this disagreement, this conflict that um, Paul and Barnabas have isn't just simply like, we'll it, it agree to disagree in part ways. But like this was like a, a, a violent shaking to the foundation, to the fabric of the relationship, to the point that it became like this impossible impasse that they just couldn't get past. And so they parted company. Now, what's the cause of this conflict? It's a man by the name of John Mark. Now, we don't know about, we don't know much about John Mark, But here's what we do know just a few chapters earlier in acts uh, chapter 13 we see paul and barnabas heading out on this initial sort of journey together and so paul gathers companions uh, because it's a difficult sort of journey difficult sort of work and so he heads out with the support of his friends and then we're told john mark however left them and returned to jerusalem so as they get ready to set out on this journey for a second time, Barnabas wants to bring John Mark, and Paul's like, "Heck no! <laughs> John Mark committed essentially apostasy last time. Like he was intentionally disloyal. He turned his back on us. He committed treason, if you will, among our community. And I would be foolish to trust him again. I will not bring John Mark with me." But for Barnabas, it's a different story, because as Paul tells us later on in his letter to the church in uh, 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 the letter to the Colossians. John Mark and Barnabas—they were family, they were kin, they were cousins—and so for uh, Barnabas, like, of course it makes sense that he would vouch for John Mark. Of course he would vouch for his family. Of course he would vouch for his kin, for his cousin, because that's what you do. Paul doesn't want to bring him because he committed treason, and John Mark or Barnabas doesn't want to bring him or wants to bring him because he's family. Now we. Have the understatement of the morning when it comes to conflict here. Conflict is complicated, right? <laughs> like, as soon as we step into conflict, including this story between Paul and Barnabas, we see that it gets really messy really, really quick. As soon as we step into this messy complicated, or messy, complicated conflict, we recognize that there's all sorts of layers to it. And as we start to pull back the layers, we quickly realize that what's once seemed black and white is now very, very gray, now here's why I think conflict is complicated. Because our perspectives are personal. Like I see the world one way with my experiences and you see the world one way with your experiences. And Paul sees the world one way with his experiences and Barnabas sees the world one way with his experience. So come back to the story of Paul and Barnabas and let's ask the question, who was right? Who is right in this situation? I think an argument could be made both, right? <laughs> for Paul, it makes sense not to bring him, right? Like, he, he had failed him once, and it probably makes sense for him not to trust his life with this on this difficult journey because he turned his back on him once before. But for Barnabas, like, from his perspective, he's right too because that's what you do for family, right? We see that conflict is so incredibly complicated because our perspectives are personal. Like, um... Like, I can never not see the world through my lens, right? I I can never not be Sean with my experience, with my perspective, and enter into conflict and sort all of that out without being myself. And I guarantee that this is the case for, like, any sort of conflict that you've experienced in your life. Maybe not all of it, but maybe for most of it. So think back to the last 24 hours, the last week, maybe even your entire life, and any uh, sort of encounter and conflict that you've had. I guarantee that for many of these situations if you were to ask who was right there could be an argument made for both (laughs) because nobody like builds any sort of foundation of reality off of the premise of being wrong right (laughs) everybody thinks that they're right based on their own perspective Um, i had a a major moment of conflict with one of my brothers uh, uh, as i was graduating high school So this was a year after my mom had died that's an important detail in the story um so after my mom had died i moved in with one of my brothers and uh, he didn't have any kids him and his wife had like stable jobs they had space and it seemed to make the most sense for me to move in with them but shortly after i moved in with them uh, uh, my sister-in-law got pregnant and we had uh, come to this agreement that when their child was born i would move in with another brother across town so that they could have their space, I could have my space, and everybody could kind of coexist in peace. Well, baby uh, comes and is born, and I move in with my brother, and this is at the end of my senior year, a year after my bro- after my mom had died. And uh, somewhere along the way, my brother calls and says, hey, um, would you mind coming back home and cleaning up your room so that my mother-in-law can stay there? Would you mind, you know, like, It can stay your room, but maybe make it look like a high school boy doesn't live there, like maybe put your gym socks away and all of those sorts of gross things so that she can feel like she has some space. A very reasonable request, right? I snapped in that moment (laughs) because here's what I heard. This was a year after my mom had died, a year after the roots of my life had been violently ripped up, A year after the roots of my community out of my friends had been violently ripped up, and I just spent the past year of my life trying to delicately establish roots again. And when my brother asked if I could just simply clean up my room, it felt like he was violently trying to uproot my life once again. Here's all my brother was asking. We need help. (laughs) My mother-in-law wants a space that she can stay that feels clean and welcoming to her. Would you mind doing that? that thing blew up and we didn't talk for days after that. Who was right? I think we both were. (laughs) It wasn't an unreasonable request and I don't think my response was unreasonable in that moment either. And here we see that like when we enter into conflict, this elusive goal of objectivity, of being able to see it from uh, outside of my perspective, really just isn't possible. Like I'm only I'm only capable of seeing conflict through the lens of being Sean and my experiences, my history, and my past. And this is what makes conflict so complicated because our perspectives are personal. So what are we to do about this? Do we live in conflict forever? Do we always have disagreements that are so sharp that we part company? God help us, I hope not, right? So here are some things that I think can be helpful as we think about conflict and how to engage in conflict. Now, certainly not an exhaustive list because there's like millions of pages written on conflict uh, resolution, but here's a few that I think are helpful. The first thing is approach conflict humbly. Um, Again, we ask this question of like, who's right? oftentimes both of us from our own perspective right Like conflict is complicated so we approach it humbly recognizing that there may actually be more happening in the situation than i know or more happening in my life or in the life of the person than what i might uh, than what might uh, be obvious so like with paul and barnabas we're told later on in uh, the letter to the galatians that paul and barnabas were already having conflict that uh Paul had come with this like really aggressive sort of inclusion of the Gentiles but Barnabas was a bit more conservative on it and they were clashing over this already. Now was this at play when they had this conflict over John Mark? I don't know and we never know unless we approach it humbly recognizing that there may be more to the story than meets the eye. Secondly when we enter into conflict um, we do so trying to see the perspective of the other. Now, now again like Uh, objectivity in uh, conflict is like almost impossible right and that's not what we're looking for but what we're looking for here is almost like a kaleidoscope sort of view Um, this this childhood toy that has all sorts of shapes all sorts of colors that makes this really complex sort of picture And so when we enter into conflict and try to see the perspective from the other, what we're essentially doing is adding more color, more shapes to the kaleidoscope. Yes, it makes it a little more complicated, but it gives us a bigger, fuller, more complete sort of picture of what's happening in this. So when we enter into conflict, we say to the person like, I really want to understand how you see this. Can you help me to see it like you do? This doesn't necessarily mean that like they're objectively right or that you're objectively right but it helps us to get a more full picture Um, this past year i I had uh, an issue of of conflict with a friend who uh, definitely thought that covid was like not a big deal at all and um, after talking to him i began to like understand why he didn't know a single person who got covid Uh, he didn't know anybody who like uh, even like two or three degrees removed who got COVID or was like extremely sick or had died from it. And so for him, like COVID didn't seem like a big deal. And that was really helpful for me to like understand why this was his perspective on it. But I had this boiling rage within me because I wish he would have asked me that same question because I would have told him about all the people that I had known that had gotten COVID. And I would have told him about my wife who worked on the COVID unit uh, that was against her will, right? (laughs) And I think that could have helped us not get to this impasse where we just kind of hung up on the phone without any sort of like resolution. So asking this question of like, how can I, how can I see this? How can I understand this from your perspective? Um, now, uh, there's still this like looming question uh, with this story of like, why is it included? <laughs> Wouldn't it have just been easier for Luke to like just skim over the story and uh, just tell the highlights of the, the church? Well, remember that he's telling the, the, the events of the early church as it begins to unfold. And I think he includes this story of conflict uh, as a warning about how we engage in conflict within the church. See, I think Luke is telling us that conflict, even within the community of Christ, is in- inevitable. That we're going to enter into conflict. And yet, how we enter into conflict and how we deal with conflict is terribly important. Uh So Luke seems to be uh, telling this story from hindsight. And it's interesting because in one of Paul's later letters written to uh, Timothy, one of his apprentices, he tells Timothy to go and get John Mark and bring him to him because he's useful in his ministry. We have no idea what happened between Paul and John Mark to get this relationship restored. But something happened and they were reconciled. And it seems as though Luke is offering this story to us as we try and live out this life of the community of Christ together as a warning about how we do conflict and a warning against burning bridges with one another. Because, see, the God that we see in Jesus is a God who goes to far-off, desperate places in order to bring about reconciliation, to bring about peace, to create peace among places where there is sharp division And it's as if Luke is telling us not to get in the way and make things harder for this reconciling work of God. Have boundaries, absolutely. If somebody has harmed you, if somebody has abused you, please put up hard, strong boundaries. Like We don't have to uh, continue to be hurt or abused in those situations. But burning bridges seems to be a strong warning in this story because we don't know how God might redeem that that, uh, relationship later on. Conflict is really complicated um, because our perspectives are personal, but conflict doesn't have to be impossible. Um, so as we enter into conflict, may we do so uh, humbly. May we do so trying to see the perspective of the other. Um, and may we uh, follow the, the, um, the example that we see in Jesus uh, who shows us the reconciling heart of God. Let's pray. Loving God, we're grateful for the example of uh, Jesus who comes and shows us uh, your heart for reconciliation, of making peace in in desperate places. God, we pray that as we enter into conflict with one another uh, and enter into conflict throughout our lives, uh, that your spirit would be among us. And would be at work trying to to bring about uh, peace and reconciliation in all of those places. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.